Resilient Cyber Podcast brings you conversations from diverse cybersecurity professionals, ranging from executives, subject matter experts, and aspiring entrants. Today's diverse threat landscape requires systems that can withstand a variety of cyber incidents, remaining trustworthy and secure. Resilient Cyber is sponsored by Acquia, a cybersecurity service, disabled veteran-owned small business that is passionate about enabling innovation and driving secure digital transformation. Acquia believes in guardrails over roadblocks and security as a business and mission enabler. Learn more at acquia.us. That's A-Q-U-I-A U-S. We want to take a moment to thank one of our Season 5 sponsors, Wiz. Wiz transforms cloud security for customers, including 35% of the Fortune 100, by enabling a new operating model. With Wiz, organizations can democratize security across the development lifecycle, empowering them to build fast and securely. Its cloud-native application protection platform, CNAP, drives visibility, risk prioritization, and business agility, and is number one based on customer reviews. Find out more at wiz.io. Before we start the episode, we want to give a big thank you to our season four sponsor, Nucleus Security. Meet Nucleus, the only risk-based vulnerability management platform purpose-built for the world's most complex enterprises. Nucleus takes the mountain of vulnerability data that is produced by your security stack and unifies it into one clean dashboard that helps you make sense of your assets and vulnerabilities. With Nucleus, users get a normalized and deduplicated list of vulnerabilities across network devices, cloud, applications, and more. Next, we layer in risk and vulnerability intelligence from sources like Mondiant to help you prioritize the vulnerabilities that matter most. Ready to see how Nucleus can help improve your vulnerability management program? Head to NucleusSec.com today. Thank you for joining the Resilient Cyber Podcast. My name is Chris Hughes, and today I'm joined by Jake Malash. Jake, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm excited to chat with you. We've had a good conversation, you know, off the air about cloud native security and things like that. But for folks that don't know you or haven't come across you yet, can you tell us a bit about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, definitely. So I'm a senior solutions architect at Aqua Security. Uh, so pre-sales engineer, if you're not familiar with the solutions architect title. Uh, but uh, before that, I was actually still in college. This was my first job out of college. So I went for cyber, uh, computer science. I got my bachelor's degree there. Um, realized I didn't really want to develop at that point. So I was looking for other roles. Um, and my soft skills are more developed, I think, than a lot of other people that come out with a cybersecurity degree. So I think sales was a natural switch into that for me, uh, being the, the the bridge between technical and uh, the business side. Uh, so I started as like an entry-level associate, got a really robust training program to get familiar with all the tech that came out when I was in college that they weren't going to teach me. Uh, and then really hit the ground running from there. So I've been working with some of the uh, biggest organizations, Fortune 500, some of the uh, biggest agencies that are in the government. Um, so really just kind of excelled from that point on. And um, Aqua's been great to me from so far. So Yeah, it's awesome. You said a couple of things that I have to pull a thread on now. You talked about like the soft skills aspect, you know, 
so I'm curious, like you kind of seem like you jump, you know, feet first into the fire from, from college directly to working in sales and working with, you know, customers or potential customers, leads, things like that. You know, how often do you think that soft skills are kind of undervalued in our career field? We focus a lot on the technical aspects of, you know, cloud uh, technology, security, things like that. But uh, you, you kind of emphasize the soft skills communications aspect. You know, any, any thoughts on that front? Yeah, I, I think it's huge because especially from my perspective, there's a wide range of personas that I talk to on a daily basis. So like you could have the the CISO types who aren't in the weeds as much as some of the developers or engineers that I work with on a day-to-day basis that some of the topics I'm trying to discuss might go right over their heads if I, unless I can get them down into more plain terms. Um, and that's something that I picked up in college because I was a... Uh, I played rugby in college, so the guys that I lived with didn't necessarily have a lot of technical skills or didn't know a lot about what I was trying to say. So when I wanted to just talk to them about whatever, I had to get it down to the way that they would understand, not just talking to myself, essentially. Yeah, it makes sense. I think it's it's super important to be able to communicate, you know, beyond the technical stuff or put it in a language that the business peers or other you know folks can understand for sure. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to ask about is like the pre-sales aspect. You know, I feel like in that kind of a role, you may get a lot of uh, exposure to, you know, not just one organization's problems or challenges around cloud security and things like that, but a lot of different organizations. How beneficial has that been to, you know, as you go through your career, learning and growing and like trying to help organizations tackle challenges? Because you get this plethora of exposure rather than just one organization, one architecture, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's been huge for me. And it's been really apparent as I've gone through the last couple of years where it's like earlier or the, one of my first couple of years, I was like, I don't really have a big good grasp on a lot of the tools or a lot of the processes that we're going through. But now it's more of like, I'm a jack of all trades. It's not just, I know one cloud provider, or I know one build system, or I know one specific tool. I have been using all of them across the board for the last four years. So I am very familiar with the Amazons, the Azures, the Googles, the whatever registry you could ever think of, um, all of those different types of tools. So it's really given me a leg up when I go into a new engagement with an organization that I am probably familiar with the tools that they're using or the processes that they're trying to uh, install there. Yeah, it makes sense. I work in a consulting role and I've found, you know, being in this kind of a role gives me a lot of different exposure to different problems, you know, organizations, politics, you name it. Um, so it kind of benefits you when you walk into a new engagement or working with a, a new customer, basically, uh, you know, having that exposure. Um, so, you know, you kind of jumped right into the cloud. If I had to suspect you likely hadn't worked much in on-premise legacy data center, you know, type stuff, but right. in your experience so far, you know, helping organizations migrate to the cloud, you know, focus on cloud security, cloud native security, what are some of the key differences that, you know, people are starting to struggle with when they move to the cloud and start to try to tackle, you know, securing cloud environments versus maybe their legacy on-premise uh, environment? Yeah, so I think I might have gotten lucky with my uh, schooling because my professor for when I was going through was really keen on um, like the agile method of development, which was probably it was fairly new when I was going through, but they were keen on not having a siloed way of development. And that's something that we're seeing now with cloud native because there's less dependencies on the actual machines that you're running these applications on. Because when you go to a cloud, especially like in a containerized world, they're meant to be able to be puzzle pieces that can fit into wherever they need to go. Um, So one of the age old things that we used to say is like the application works on my machine. Uh, That's not a a thing anymore with cloud native because the dependency from like the operating system or whatever else gets taken away because it's all packaged inside of that container that's right there or whatever other cloud native avenue you're taking whether it be serverless or whether it be something else um so really like the the um the culture around the development has started to change not only with 
the siloed development going away and more talking around uh, collaboration between those different development teams, but also then um, like there's a starting to see more of a shift now with like the DevSecOps movement, not just the dev versus the operations, but trying to make sure that security is a part of everyone's mind because it ultimately makes the applications safer, better, saves everyone time at the end of the day. Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, kind of, you kind of hinted on some of the key aspects of cloud native technologies, the ephemeral nature, the immutable aspect of containers, for example, being able to move them around different environments, cloud service providers, and so on. Uh, and a lot of these concepts may be new to people, just like a lot of the terms. And we were joking off air, you know, there's a lot of acronyms, you know, I think about CWPP, CSPM, KSPM. And, uh, you know, can you unpack some of those uh, acronyms for folks and kind of where things are headed, where things are, uh, things are involving in terms of cloud pr- uh, protections and platforms? Yeah, definitely. And I don't know how many terms are out there right now. There's probably got to be like 100 of them, but I'm sure there's going to be more even tomorrow. But like CWPP, Cloud Workload Protection Platform, or CSPM, uh, Cloud Security Posture Management, KSPM, just specific for Kubernetes. Um, all of those tools are referencing a specific type of or a different type of um, strategy or thing you're looking to be able to do as far as your security goes. So it could be like for posture management, you're looking to make sure your configurations are in the right stand in in the right place, whether it be versus best practice or a different uh, industry standard for whatever vertical you need. Um, or it could be monitor like workload protection. So the workloads that are actively running, you want to monitor to make sure that those types of things are doing what they're intended to do. There's no, no adverse effects from happening there. But really what we're seeing now is the newest term, I think, that Gartner's coined is CNAP, Cloud Native Application Protection Platform. And we were just talking about Cloud Native there for a second. So it's really where all of those different capabilities are starting to get rolled up under under one tool or getting trying to get rolled up under one tool as much as they can. So that way there's a better um, view of your full risk because a lot of those tools are looking for just one specific vector. But a lot of times those vectors might be relating to the same asset that you have in your environment. So when you have multiple findings from multiple different tools for that same asset, most organizations these days are doing that kind of correlation on the outside, like in a SIM tool or somebody's doing that correlation. But with CNAP, those types of things are happening out of the box. So that's the intention anyways. So that way, you know exactly from your workload or from your, let's just call it when we shift left and we go and looking at the vulnerabilities that's moving through our image pipeline. We know where those vulnerabilities are sitting in your workloads, but we also know what resources those workloads use to um, like the the security groups or anything like that, that might be misconfigured, they're now being used by this resource to reach the internet or to um, whatever else it might need. Those types of correlations make the risk of that particular asset or that workload much greater than just finding one specific vulnerability or like one critical vulnerability. So being able to prioritize those different findings based off of the compound risk that happens is I think really what the strategy of CNAPS um, is meant to be. Yeah, I think you're spot on because that that organizational or environmental specific context is crucial. Otherwise, you know, it's just like, oh, it's a critical finding. Well, what does that mean exactly? Like, you know, what kind of asset is impacting what data is on that system? What other systems can reach that system? You know, you know, how can lateral movement occur? Things like that. So right. I think that uh, context is critical. Uh, and then and that note, you know, there's another topic that we talked about kind of tool sprawl or cognitive overload. If you have a CSPM and you know, the CWPP and like all these different tools in the pipeline and all that, we're seeing kind of a push like you talked about to CNAP 
more of a, a platform uh, type approach to bring a lot of these capabilities together. You know, why do you think it's so uh, important to do that? You know, have this platform type approach rather than all these disparate tools that you know you're kind of trying to jump from one tool to the other, bring it all together, make sense of it. You know, why do you think we're seeing the industry move this way? Well, you said it exactly. Like alert fatigue is a big problem for a lot of organizations and. Um, with security tools nowadays, I'm not surprised because you generate so many different things from all of these tools, even the individual point solutions, like we mentioned, not even just from a CNAP tool, um, where it could be like millions of vulnerabilities from across all of your repositories or the same number of misconfigurations because there's twice as many resources deployed in your cloud environment. Um, but when we're talking about that um, correlation of data points is really when that alert fatigue starts to fall because Let's say that uh, you had a, a critical vulnerability that you found across 200 of your images. But if those images are just statically sitting in your registry, they're an old image tag that's been resolved, that one isn't getting deployed anymore. That's not really a critical issue for you because that isn't going to be sitting in your environment. It's not a, a vulnerability that's going to get exploited. It's not a vulnerability that could potentially cause an outage for your organization or have an impact because it's not really running. So unless you can be able to tell or make that filtering or that correlation between what vulnerabilities or what misconfigurations I actually have and how they relate to what's actually running in my environment right now, that is where a CNAP would be able to kind of drop that alert fatigue because you would go to try to make those correlation points before you send out alerts or make sure that they're pinpointed to the correct people. So that way it's not millions of alerts getting sent out to a single stream that ultimately everybody's going to ignore because they're getting pinged every 20 seconds for whatever's getting found. Yeah, I think that that part's uh, particularly important. You know, if we try to build trust, like talk about DevSecOps, if we try to build trust and rapport with our engineering and development peers, instead of just throwing them a massive spreadsheet of, you know, 7,000 vulnerabilities, we're showing them, hey, here's the ones that are most important, not just based on the severity, but of the organizational context, uh, what's reachable, what's actually running, you know, the type of data on the system, things like that. And I think that the platform is what really brings all that together. Um, so we talk a lot, you know, as well, you talk about DevSecOps, there's obviously a push to like shift security left and things like CICD security and running tools in the pipeline. But I know you're also passionate about runtime security. Uh, can you unpack like, you know, what that is exactly and why it's so important compared to say shift left or pipeline scans, things of that nature? Yeah, well, so when we're talking about doing image scanning and finding all of these issues, um, we can do as much as we can to be able to fix those vulnerabilities in on the left side in the development environment. But the fact of the matter is, is the zero day vulnerability is always at risk. So you have no idea when that's going to happen. And it's why it's called the zero day, because it doesn't happen tomorrow. It doesn't happen yesterday. It happens right now. Um, and so those types of vulnerabilities is really where you want to make sure that you can monitor your applications in real time. So that way, in the worst case scenario, like we saw almost two years ago to the day, Log4j, where we had I had customers calling me on my cell phone, which never happened before, saying, hey, we need to know where this vulnerability is. We need to know if we're susceptible to this can you help me do this? And so I was like, of course, yeah, I knew we knew about um, Blog4j like a couple of days early because of us being a security vendor. They gave it, we knew, we heard it through the grapevine that this was coming out. So we kind of were prepared to be able to help these customers out. I think we had tagged it early with our own before the official CVE had gotten released. So we knew what was that, what we were actually looking for. Um, but in the sense of Blog4j, what happened was basically people were able to do or execute whatever they wanted on applications that were susceptible to that. So if you don't have runtime monitoring, even if I was looking at the logs of every single container that I could run, which is not feasible from a human perspective, 
there is still a chance that I wouldn't be able to see the execution of any of those things because it could be like two thousandths of a second between the drop of an executable and the actual execution of it. And I wouldn't be able to react fast enough to be able to stop that or triage that. And I would know what asset it was if I was watching it. But even then, the damage could have already be done at that point. So unless you're doing this real-time monitoring, you're still susceptible to those types of attacks from a zero-day perspective or whatever else might be happening. If it's not even a zero-day, if someone just happens to gain access to one of your assets because of a misconfiguration, like we mentioned before, then um, you could do all of the vulnerability scanning and all of the everything you wanted to do on the left. But it, what really comes down to is you're, when you're going to get attacked, it's going to be what's on the right in the running environment. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Like, yeah, obviously, ideally, we want to catch as much as we can in the pipeline and shift security left. You know, obviously, a lot of people make the case it's it saves money and resources and you know minimizes attack exposure. Uh, but ultimately, you know, despite our our best efforts to push towards a GitOps type model where nothing's being modified in production or a runtime environment is happening quite frequently, still uh, things happen after the pipeline, like you talked about in production. So having that production runtime. Uh, context is absolutely critical to understand like what's really happening in my production environment to my systems that's exposing me to risk. Um, so I want to ask, you know, a lot of these uh, topics we talked about from the CNET perspective, you know, cloud native security, CICD pipeline security, software supply chain security with Log4j leads to what you all do at Aqua Security. You know, do you want to take a few minutes and talk about Aqua in particular, you know, what your platform does, uh, how you've seen it successfully implemented, you know, with some customers in regulated environments, for example, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So we're fitting directly into that category CNAP, so Cloud Native Application Protection Platform. Um, and really what that encompasses is being able to have the full view of your application from development all the way through to that runtime security. Being able to make those data points connect to when you have a certain development environment um, that is get like a developer that's working on a specific application that's going through a specific pipeline that might be configured in certain ways, which again, with the supply chain security and the SolarWinds attack, we had, again, that's another thing where it's not only the code that has to go through your pipeline, it's also the build runners. So the, 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 the um, in SolarWinds case, it was the Jenkins build runners that were actually being compromised, not the code. So monitoring those types of systems is something that not a lot of people are doing that we're providing to our customers, as well as being able to make sure that the configurations of the supporting resources or the cloud are up to snuff, and then providing that runtime protection in real time, where in the case of like Log4j, we have a, a, a feature called drift prevention, which basically completely wiped out whatever anybody was trying to be able to execute from Log4j, because if they tried to drop something to deploy a crypto miner or whatever, they'd have to execute that command. And we would be able to see that that wasn't something that was supposed to happen on those assets. So we could prevent that right out of the gate. And we did that with custom, with some of our customers right then. And they credit us for being able to help them uh, prevent any issues from Log4j. Um, so really being able to take all of those different pieces. Um, and regardless of the type of environment, we actually are uh, in progress right now for FedRAMP High for our SaaS solutions. So um, one of the, by, I would say, midtime next year, we're going to be fully ready to go to, for whatever type of environment uh, that you need to be able to have the security on, regardless of if it be on-prem or in one of the major CSPs, um, we can be able to help you out in all of those different solutions. Very cool. Yeah, it, sounds good. it brings together a lot of different tools and security functionality that we just talked about, brings it together in a comprehensive platform, and you're doing it in highly regulated environments. You know, having FedRAMP high around the corner obviously speaks to serving the federal government, Department of Defense, things like that. Uh, so that's very cool. Definitely, folks, check it out. I shared it here in the comments, but aquasec.com. Uh, so, Jake, one last question that I ask every guest here on the show is, you know, what does the term cyber resilience mean to you? 
Yeah, well, resilience itself is like the ability to react or be prepared for um, whatever comes your way. And so in cyber, when you want to be able to be resilient, it really speaks volumes as to being able to have this or have your um, readiness for when an attack happens. It's not for when you go after the fact of when an attack's already in progress or has already been detonated. You want to make sure that when those things happen, inevitably it will for whichever organization you are. Um, it's not a, it's, it's not a, if it's a, when for sure. Um, so when you have those types of things, if you're really monitoring each part of the life cycle of the application from the development to the deployment and to the runtime, if you have things in place that can even be like the runtime should be the last line of defense, if we're catching everything in the shift left, but if you have all of those pieces in play, you know, that you can have that peace of mind knowing we're going to be able to catch whatever attacks come in progress. And even if it's some brand new, extremely sophisticated attack that no one's ever seen before, at least we'll be able to get to be, be the hardest person that they could potentially attack um, from that standpoint. So really just being able to have the ability when there is this inevitable attack to withstand and or react quickly to um, that type of thing. Yeah, well said. It's not a matter of uh, if, it's a matter of when. Uh, so well said. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground here, cloud native security, different acronyms in the, and the acronym soup of cloud native security. I talked about CNAP and the, the need for a comprehensive platform, as well as a little bit about the Aqua security team. So definitely check that out, aquasec.com. And Jake, thanks so much for coming on. That'll take us out for this week. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks, Russ. Appreciate it.